get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now. Whether it's you know washing all the germs out, you want to get obviously the germs out of your car, but also you want it to look really nice. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. It's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's. And guess what? They have an app. It's the Tommy Club app. So download it. I know you have a smartphone, so you're going to be able to download apps. You don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast. I'm just assuming that. And if you do, more power to you. But if you do, then you're missing out on this great deal. Because if you download the Tommy Club app today, you're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price. Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's. Unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations. And there are a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. Most importantly, unlimited happiness. That's a Tommy's Express Car Wash. We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F- that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. Along with me is Cole C. DeButar here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, joins us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, joins us in about 35 minutes from right now. We've also got some audio to play you from the KU coordinators, Andy Kotelnicki, the offensive coordinator, Brian Borland, the defensive coordinator this week. So, packed show um, today. KU taking on Baylor tomorrow. Before we get into that and kind of preview it a little bit, um, 2.30 is the kickoff for that. You can also hear it right here on KLWN. I've got two KU football tickets left. I actually had four, but I gave two away, um, and and I'll get to that in a second here. I was, you know, lacking creativity this afternoon. I I couldn't figure out a way. How do I want to give away these these KU football tickets that I have? So I decided to say, you know, on I, I posted this on Twitter. If you had a bad day, tell me why. Or if you had a bad day this week, tell me why. And the worst story gets KU ba- or KU football tickets for tomorrow. Now, I had somebody reach out to me, and I'm not going to share who they are because it's it's more of a private story. Um, but basically, they had, like, death in the family. Another person tested positive for COVID. So I gave them two tickets already, which leaves us with two left. So, Cole, I'm going to put the onus on you. I'm going to read you some of these stories uh, okay. that have been given to me, and you're going to help me pick what we think is the worst story. I want you to know <laughs> that, one, I have very little empathy. And number two, okay. it feels like you set yourself up for someone to tell you that their family member had died. Like, yeah, okay, wait. Re- so, really feel bad yeah, for yeah. that so guy. Peeling back the curtain here, there was a moment in time, and, and I feel terrible thinking this way, but there, there was a moment in time when you first read that, and it's behind a screen. You just think, "Are they just trying to get oh tickets my God, out of me?" You're but, terrible. But no, no, I know that was my first thought, and then I'm like, "That's a terrible thought. Don't think that way." And so I'm not. I gave them tickets. I believe them 100 because I, I don't want to be the 
the a-hole who thinks the other way on that. Like I said, it popped up in my mind, but I don't want to think like that at all. And I do believe them. And you know what? If you are willing to go on social media and tell somebody that a family member died so you can get KU football tickets, which I don't know what they're going for on StubHub. I can't imagine it's more than 20, 30 bucks. Then the problem's on you, and and the onus is off me at that point. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, in in elementary and middle and high school, did you ever you know tell uh, your teacher that your grandma died so you could get a day off school? <laughs> no, this is like because, the same thing. No, see, because I was always worried that like, was that going to jinx it? And my grandma's going to die by me saying <laughs> that. Like, I didn't want that to happen. I should laugh at that. My right. go to, my go to uh, excuse. Everybody has one. Was always dentist appointment ah uh, okay okay because everybody always has to go to the dentist you know you're supposed to go twice a year not everybody does but um you're supposed to go twice a year and nobody ever keeps track in their head like man he's been going to the dentist a lot and if if they do then you just say well that time i had to get cavity filled this time is like a root canal this is just a general cleaning there's so many reasons to go to the dentist let me hear these stories okay here's the stories uh first this one's from garrett this is this is just kind of funny. It's very short. It's four words. I live in Missouri. <sighs> yeah, that's that's a that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> strong early front runner. Mm-hmm. Well, it has to be the front runner. It's the only one I've shared. Uh, here, this is one from Kylie. Thought I had all the right documents to register my vehicle, and after an hour wait in line, got turned away. Now on a one and a half hour hold to contact Honda for more paperwork. I guess I have a problem. Mm-hmm. If we give her these tickets, mm-hmm. is she going to be able to drive to the oh, game? Oh, good yeah. find. Okay. So, sorry, Kylie. I guess you've just been eliminated there. <laughs> um, Gage says, cleaning dog baths and went to get the trap that holds the hair and stuck my hand in a pile of poop emoji. Oh, that's really bad. <laughs> oh, God. Matt, how did... One of the dogs... Uh, Crapped in the hair trap? <laughs> yes. What on earth? Okay. Yeah. No, that's that's good. Okay, I like so, that one. So between that and I live in Missouri. Um, These are the five favorites, by the way. Sat through an eight-hour seminar over a very dull topic for licensure credit to get a certification. Turns out I get none of that credit nor certification because of a timeline rule by the state of Kansas, unbeknownst to me or the people who signed me up for it. Now seminar next week. Bureaucracy mm-hmm. is always like at the top of this. I mean, again, I felt a lot of sympathy for Kylie in her yeah. DMV situation. That's that's a tough mm-hmm. one too. Bureaucracy, uh, you know, ruins days. It, it doesn't ruin lives, mm. but it does ruin days. Yeah, that is unfortunate. Also, though, like, would you rather? I don't know, because because this is the ultimate test of length of time versus. A worse moment, but it's a shorter Doesn't period. Doesn't take eight hours to wash dog poop off your hands, Correct. man. But the moment is more jarring and worse. Yeah, especially because it's not supposed to be there. It's like... <laughs> yeah, so I don't know which of those is worse. They're worse for different reasons. Uh, Kevin says, got pulled over for expired tag on my way to tag office to renew. You know, on one hand, I feel bad. I've been there before. I forgot to, exp- uh, you know, renew my tag. I think this was last year, two years ago. I got a big ticket for it. That was not fun. And then you got to go pay for uh, to renew the tag as well, and and that costs money to go with it. Um, but also, as somebody who did that a year ago, it's my fault. Like, and no offense, Kevin, but it's your fault if you didn't get it renewed. So, I don't know. I I don't want to. I don't know. What What do you think? About what that? was the name of the of the dog poop story guy? 
Dog poop story guy is Gage. Gage, okay. And I, I don't know what the name of the other guy is because his, his Twitter name is Doogie. Is he like Doug and his friends call him Doogie? I, I don't know. Maybe his name's Doogie. Is that like a name that I'm I don't of? think so. I'm going to call okay. him Doug. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Gage's story. I think Gage's might be the worst. Okay. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. All right. So we're going to give him to Gage. So Gage, uh, we'll be in contact with you uh, over social media, which... Ah oh, man, I don't know if we can we can do that anymore. I just looked and Gage is going to be playing uh, soccer at Kansas Wesleyan, and uh, they beat Baker in women's soccer a couple weeks ago. I had to call that game, so I don't know. Maybe All right, I guess it goes to Doug. Up. Sorry, no, Gage. Just, <laughs> 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 All right, with Cole Zita Butar, I'm Derek Johnson. Brian Haney will join us in about 30 minutes right now. So KU takes on Baylor tomorrow. Again, you can hear it right here on KLWN. The Coastal Carolina game. You didn't cover the spread. You lost by 27 points. The spread in this one is closer to three touchdowns. It's about 18 points right now. Is there anything that you would see in this game, uh, come away from it, that you would think, okay, that's another positive step in the right direction outside of what the scoreboard would say? I think I think I got to see our quarterback have confidence in the pocket. If the quarterbacks don't have confidence in the pocket, then that means the offensive line is failing them. And that was, in my opinion, uh, a big issue from the last two weeks. The quarterbacks need confidence. Uh, they need to be able to stand. They need to be able to make throws. They shouldn't have to make every single play on their feet. Uh, obviously, quarterbacks that can make those long, extended plays on their feet are great. But that's not what you primarily want out of the quarterback position. So that's really what would, even if we lose by... 30, 35 points, whatever. If the quarterbacks get to make confident throws where they get to go through their progressions, I would like to, you know, give up two or less sacks. That would be sort of my goal. If I was going to like put like a box score goal on it, I would say two or less sacks. Uh, one or less would be awesome. Two or less is, is, is definitely where I would put my marker for success in this regard. I'm almost putting my blinders on for the offense because um, the offensive line has struggled and it's going to be really easy to compare. Baylor is now running the same offense that KU is. Both teams kind of implementing that this year with the wide zone. But Baylor had the spring season. KU did not. And it's going to be easy to make natural like, oh, they're so much better at it than you are. And that's bad that, you know, both these year one offenses are way different here. But, again, they had different circumstances there. So I'm almost putting my blinders on for the offense because of a combination of that, the offensive line, and Baylor's defense is really good. Um, you look at ESPN SB+, their defensive efficiency grade is 13th in the entire country, which doesn't bode well for the KU offense. The most points the KU has scored in this series the last 11 games is 14 points. So I'm not expecting a ton from the offense. Now, that said, because the bar's low for me on that, if you do go out and impress offensively and Jason Bean shows more nice flashes and the running game improves, I'm going to come away from that very impressed. So that's kind of the flip side there. There's not really anything in the game in my eyes that I'm going to come away from saying, yeah, this offense is so much worse than I thought, but they do have the potential to go with the opposite way of that. Okay, so what would disappoint you then in this game against Baylor? Like if from in any facet of, of KU's team? Um, 
the special teams would be one. That's been something I've kind of harped on all year, and that's not something that necessarily has to do with Baylor just has some better players and better athletes than you. It, it just doesn't. And, like, having a, a block punt for a touchdown last week against Coastal Carolina, that wasn't because Coastal Carolina has better athletes. You just messed up. Um, so, you give up two kickoffs for touchdowns last year against Baylor. Don't do that, right? <laughs> I mean, it's that simple. It's It's not like anything super fine or detailed. It just don't do that. Be better on special teams. Avoid giving up the big plays. And if you yourself get some big plays, that's that's great. Just continue to take steps forward in many ways. And the special teams is one of those that I think is very possible. Um, the other one would be, you know, can you, as good as the Baylor defense is, the offense isn't an explosive one. And yes, they scored over 60 points last week. Texas Southern is one of the worst teams in FCS football. Week before, they were held under 30 points against Texas State, who won, I think, two games two years ago or, or last year. Um, so I, I don't know what exactly it would look like for the defense, but I think you'd like to see just a fundamentally solid defense almost because you saw against Coastal Carolina, guys were running wide open. I mean, they're... Grace McCall goes 17 of 21, and I get it. Like, that's a really good offense. He's a good quarterback and everything. But you can't have that. Guy's running wide open. You got to make it a little more difficult on the passing game. So you want to see that closed up. You want to see the pass rush continue for KU. And you want to see the tackling be better because it's struggled against Coastal Carolina. And I think all those things are possibilities. And, you know, a lot of those uh, times where wide receivers just blow way, way open, it feels like a, a scheming problem to a certain extent. Like, if your cornerbacks are not athletically talented enough to, you know, keep toe-to-toe uh, -to -toe with their wide receivers, I think you need to address that problem through, you know, playing a different kind of defense, through different schemes, through different looks. I don't think you can just, you know, tell the corners to get better because – you know, college football is not professional. Uh, it's a lot about recruiting. If you didn't recruit corners who can stay toe-to-toe -to -toe with uh, good wide receivers, then you need to compensate for that weakness. Uh, so that's what I hope we see in that regard is uh, some better scheming decisions to prevent that those sort of issues. He is Cole Cedabutar. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Brian Haney joins us in about 20 minutes here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. KU takes on Baylor tomorrow, 2.30. Pre-game starts at 1 o'clock. You can hear it right here on KLWN. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, will be on the call for the game between KU and Baylor uh, Brian joins us now on the phone. How was uh, the little vacation off to Myrtle Beach last week, Brian? <laughs> well, we had, we had maybe six hours of free time there. <laughs> it wasn't too much of a vacation, but we had enough time to put our toes in the sand for a, a brief walk on uh, Friday morning, and it was great. And then uh, if you saw on social media, I had a chance to go up to Springfield for the Hall of Fame inductions, a little book event we did for my children's book that's out now, Game Maker. So that was part work, part vacation, and a ton of fun to get to be there on Paul Pierce's big night, listen to his speech, which was excellent, and uh, and also you know, have a chance to meet some of my uh, childhood basketball heroes like Charles Barkley. And I didn't meet Michael Jordan, 
but I was about eight feet away from Michael Jordan, which is probably as close as I'll ever get. And that was pretty <laughs> surreal to, to be that close to MJ and uh, tried to, you know, thought about a, a discreet selfie like over the shoulder, but you know, didn't want to be that guy. So I, I didn't do it. I played it cool. But uh, actually, it's kind of funny to just to elaborate on that story real quickly. Um, I, was, I was really blessed to get to be the Naismith's family guest that weekend because we we had the the book signing for the game maker book and that meant that I got to to go on this like private charter bus from the Hall of Fame to where the inductions were being held and w- when you're on this bus they drop you off on the red carpet and and the people walking the red carpet are like the actual Hall of Famers or NBA front office people and then this peon radio guy from Kansas that's walking in trying to pretend like he belongs, right? <laughs> so I'm I'm walking on the red carpet and there's like cameras on us and I'm like, Okay, what do I do? Do I don't look into the camera, uh, you know, stare straight ahead, act like you've been there before, you know. <laughs> it was just such a, a weird feeling, but at the same time an amazing experience and to get to see uh, all of that unfold up close on a really special night. I mean, you know, 2017 coach self went in, which is huge, but we haven't had a player going in quite some time. And so to have a 10 time all-star uh, and, and great KU ambassador, Paul Pierce go in was special from a Kansas perspective and loved getting a chance to be there. Even if I felt a little bit like a fish out of water, trying to walk the red carpet amidst the people that actually belong. Well, who knows? Maybe uh, more in your future down the road whenever uh, a guy like Joel Embiid <laughs> calls it quits. Who knows? There you uh, go. Yeah, we're, we're talking with Brian Haney here, voice of the Jayhawks. So as far as the game itself last week, KU Coastal Carolina, I've talked about this all week that, you know, you lose by 27, but you come away from it actually feeling pretty positive about where this thing is going. Uh, so so what are you looking for this week in the game against Baylor to kind of con- continue that uh, positive trajectory? You know, I think that uh, this week the next step would be not only within striking distance entering the fourth quarter, but, you know, play as close to the full 60 minutes as possible. Obviously, you know, we, we wound up losing by the total that most were forecasting Kansas would, and you go back and you think about nine points that we gave them back on special teams with, you know, the, the special teams touchdown, the block punt, a blocked PAT, then you're chasing points later in the game, having to go for two, only to see uh, in that instance, uh, you know, the, the, the play that should have been a penalty for a hold uh, that, that led to a, an empty conversion attempt and so that's nine points right there. And uh, if you don't have the block punt in the first half, when you score that early third-quarter touchdown, you're actually up. And while that doesn't guarantee you're going to go on to win or make a one-score game, uh, certainly I think you would have seen Coastal Carolina play a little more tight around the collar had that been the case. But you know, to be within 14 entering the fourth, I thought was a great sign of the level of competitiveness that this team was showing. But obviously, you know, after that, it, it swelled up a bit, the deficit. And so I'd love to see him compete longer. I think, honestly, in watching Baylor on film, as talented as they are at, at so many spots, I don't think they're on a different stratosphere than us. I, I think back to last year, obviously, and you know, they had 40 straight points at one point rattled off against us. And I think we're going to show we're, we're much improved from that. And in many ways, so too are they now in the second season under Dave Aranda and a lot more settled and established than they were when we saw them playing their first game under Dave Aranda. You, you might recall their previous non-con uh, opportunities had been uh, postponed and canceled due to the pandemic. And so their very first game of any kind was against us. 
uh, under Dave Aranda. And uh, I think they're much more polished a year later. But I think that you know, Kansas is going to be more competitive a year later. And I think we've got a chance to go out there and be right in this thing tomorrow. Uh, and that would, that would be the, the big takeaway for me. If, if you're within a score halfway through that fourth quarter with a chance to go down and tie it, what a day that would be and what an improvement that would be one year to the next. And so that's my hope for our Jayhawks tomorrow. Yeah, the game last year, weird, because if you look at the total yards, Baylor was only up, I think, 24 in total yards, and uh, neither team turned the ball over. It just The big difference was KU not hitting on those key downs, and Baylor had the two kickoff returns for a touchdown. Well, was there anything that stuck out from that game for you a season ago? I know it was very early in the season, but there, was there anything yeah. that, that stood out? Well, we went down and scored right away on the first possession, and it was the first career start of Jalen Daniels. And so we were pretty jazzed about that and excited about what his ceiling might look like. And there were a couple of, of deep balls he just missed on. You know, one tipped off the hands, I want to say, of Velton Gardner. The other might have been overthrown to parchment. But my point is, we had additional chances, too. And, and what a story that would have been if they, they could have come out and really punched the Bears in the mouth and, and again, forced them to play a little uncomfortable. But, uh, you know, beyond that, I think you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned the 83 and 100-yard Tristan Ebner return touchdowns. I mean, that, that's what breaks your back in that game. That's what breaks your back in the K-State game a few weeks after that when we were in Manhattan and, and saw them light us up in the return game. And so for Kansas, you know, when you're a team, as Coach Lively said, that has such a small margin for error to begin with, while you might not be able to expect to win special teams, you sure as heck can't get beat in special teams to that degree. And that's where, you know, last week with the block punt touchdown, uh, automatically you're behind the eight ball right there, giving up seven points to a team that's already favored by four touchdowns against you. So hopefully Kansas can protect in the return game against a very dangerous team. Ebner's back. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's one of the nation's leaders in all-purpose yards, number four in the country uh, amongst active players. And, you know, as we talked about, 183 yards on, on two returns alone last year versus Kansas. So uh, he's second in the Big 12, and, and right now, you know, over 3,100 career all-purpose yards, just outstanding stuff, number one in Baylor history, and uh, and a guy that clearly is, is probably public enemy number one when you consider what he can do catching passes passes out of the backfield, what he can do, rush the ball, and then in the return game. But, you know, when you try to take him away, then here comes Abram Smith, who's had back-to-back big games right out the gates, uh, you know, to the tune of, of over 100 yards a game and already four touchdowns in the first two weeks. And I think Gary Bohannon, uh, you know, now taking over as the starter after seeing him in mop-up duty as a reserve the last few years, I think he's ready to shine and really make a name for himself in this league. So they've got a lot of good offensive personnel. It will be as big a test as Kansas defense has faced. I know Likely and Hiley and, and all that are really good players from Coastal Carolina, and, and both those guys might have a chance to play at the next level, certainly Likely will. But I think when you look at the total sum of the parts from the linemen up front to the receiver speed to the running backs, uh, this will be the toughest challenge they've had personnel-wise, athletically. 
And and I think that remains to be seen on how are we going to handle the deep ball on a team that's going to go vertical a little bit more. How are we going to handle you know multiple backs that that have that kind of breakaway potential? Obviously, a week ago at times that was an issue uh, in handling some of the, the speed backs of Coastal. So those will be some challenges for Brian Borland's defense. But like I said, I, I feel like Kansas will be competitive and certainly looking forward to seeing what that looks like tomorrow afternoon. Well, I thought you brought up a good point in the last answer. I, I don't know if you were going anywhere with this, but the fact that there were 40 unanswered points from Baylor in that game, and I sit there and think back to last week for KU against Coastal Carolina, where every time it did feel like they punched, you kind of countered back. Doesn't that give you hope that, at the very least, whatever happens in this game on Saturday, you're not just going to – I don't want to say lay down, because I don't think they, they just you know laid down in that game. It wasn't a lack of effort, but – that you're going to have maybe more of a punch back to them this year than you would in years past? Yeah, I think that's a, a really astute observation because you go back to week one and we, we go down with six minutes to go to South Dakota and the poise our team showed when a previous Kansas club that just had a bad call on the poor spot that led to a turnover on downs three plays later, the underdog opponents in the end zone. We've seen Kansas teams at that point just kind of lay down and, and be defeated. And we saw them rise up, march right down the field with poise and perseverance and, and go in for the game-winning score. To your point last week, there was a stretch where we gave up 21 straight points, including that special teams touchdown. And that could have broken the back of a previous Kansas team. But what happened? Kansas goes down, gets a, a Jason Bean touchdown run on a late fourth quarter drive, gets a defensive stop. I'm sorry, late second quarter drive, I should say. Gets a, a defensive stop to head into the locker room. Then you come out, get another stop to start the second half, and you get a touchdown again to start the second half. And now, not even five minutes into the third quarter, you're suddenly down just six, and you scored you know, back-to-back you know, 14 straight on these guys. And at that point, you got to think, my goodness, you know, this is this is anybody's ball game at this point because of the way we got up off the mat and didn't allow the haymaker of, of three straight touchdowns truly knock us out. So I, I do think there's some punch back with these Jayhawks, and there's some mental toughness. And I think that starts at the top with Lance Leipold, and you know they're going to be overmatched in, in most of these remaining games, uh, if not all of them. Maybe next week being the exception. So there's going to be runs that teams go on where you have multiple scores against you. I don't expect them to match these clubs drive for drive, but so long as you show a little bit of mental toughness and, and don't allow it to break you. We've seen Kansas go on a couple of runs, you know, and, and hopefully that'll be something that, that becomes a little more commonplace uh, as we get deeper into this season because you've got the firepower, you've got a quarterback that can beat you with his arm and his feet, and he's getting better by the week with his consistency. So all of these things, I think, will make Kansas more competitive throughout the season. Yeah, and I, I'm really interested to see what Jason Bean does against this defense because I think to this point in week one, you know, you, you checked off thinking, hey, we don't know what you're going to get from the quarterback. We don't really know who the quarterback's going to be and played well against South Dakota, especially when you need a quarterback to play well, which is when you're down late and you need that late drive. And then against Coastal Carolina was really good overall. So uh, really interested to see what he looks like against Baylor. But it feels like that Jason Bean, the more he's with this team, and maybe this would be to the progression from week one to week two, being that he wasn't here for the spring, along with the coaches, 
he's going to be kind of in, in the same situation of the longer he's around the team, the more comfortable he's going to get and the more of the playbook he's going to understand and, and understanding all the progressions and so forth. Yeah, and, and that was something that you know his coaches had talked about. I know Jim Zabrowski, the quarterback's coach, had said on Hawkeyes that one of the biggest adjustments for him was just learning the playbook, learning the complexities of what Kansas will ask him to do compared to what was maybe a little bit more basic of a, of a setup at North Texas. And that's not to say one's better than the other, but this requires a, a little bit more. And it's taken some adjusting. And we heard that in August about him. We heard that you know, his first couple of weeks came along a little bit slower because he was trying to come along with that playbook and, and uh, how to call things out and everything. And once he got a hand on it, he really took off, and that coincided with, you know, a brief injury for Jalen Daniels late in the preseason, and that's when you saw this job won. But uh, as I think about him adjusting to that, but also establishing greater rapport with who's going to be his most trusted targets, those are other things that I think raise the bar for him and the ceiling of expectation. Just look from week one to week two how much more he targeted Kwame Lasseter and Luke Graham. I mean, Lasseter had just two catches the first week. He has 10 balls thrown his way in week two, caught seven of them. Uh, Graham goes for a career high 75 yards and was targeted in some really key junctures. And while he went away from the tight ends a little bit more in game two, and you'd like to see Mason Fairchild and Carl and company's roles, you know, re- return to, to prominence, I thought the usage and the trust of Lassiter and Grimm was, was a good sign. And it's not like he's just locking in on one guy, uh, like we may have seen Lawrence Arnold in the red zone in week one. He's starting to spread it around, starting to gain rapport and trust with the other guys, and that only makes him more dynamic as well. He is Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks. You can hear him on the call tomorrow right here on KLWN, pregame at 1 o'clock. We'll actually have our KLWN extended pregame show from noon to 1, and then Brian Uh, You'll hear on the call at 2.30 with KU taking on Baylor in their conference opener. Brian, thank you so much for the time as always. Always a pleasure, my friend. We'll see you tomorrow. Awesome. That is Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, joining us here on RCST. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Cole Butar. One hour down, two to go. Four o'clock hour with Cole Cedar Butar. I'm Derek Johnson here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Seven o'clock, we got high school football. Lawrence High here on KLWN. Free State over on 92.9 The Bull. But it is a Friday before we talk to BMAC, who will get his big game picks at the top of the five o'clock hour as well. We've got to get our game picks for the week. Last week, Cole, you went four and six overall. But you were okay in, in the NFL, 3-2. and two. I mean, if you're hitting 60%, that's really good. College football is where you had your issues. You went 1-4. and four. It's because Ohio State lost. I blame it all on that. I could. I, it was acceptable, but Ohio State lost. Well, Ohio State, that was my one loss for the week. I went 4-1 and one in college football, 8-2 and two overall. So first up for this week, you try to come back here. Cincinnati minus 3.5. They're playing at Indiana. Um, let's go Indiana. Mm. You went with Indiana against Iowa. Didn't work out for you. <laughs> I gotta, Maybe you did. I don't remember. I think I did. I got to trust it at some point. Okay. I'm going to go with Cincinnati. Desmond Ritter is my Heisman pick. I think that he's going to really show out in this one. Uh, 
Indiana got their butts kicked by Iowa, and Iowa is a very good team. Um, Indiana's probably better than that. They also had some bad turnover luck in that game. Maybe not luck. They just had bad turnover numbers in that game. Uh, Cincinnati, I feel like, is better than... I, I thought this was going to be closer to a seven-point line, so I feel like it's not enough points, and Cincinnati's not getting enough respect here. They're really good. Now, the thing that scares me most, this is a road game, and next week they play Notre Dame. And so while this game is very important for them, the Notre Dame game is the one that I'm sure has been circled from a Cincinnati perspective since, I don't know, the start of this season, getting ready for this year. That scares me a little bit, that they're going to be looking ahead too much to that game. And Indiana's good enough that if you're looking ahead, they'll pick you off. But I think Cincinnati wins this game. And I think it's, like, like I said, closer to 7 to 10 points. Interesting. I I, I like Indiana, uh, e- again, even if they lose by three, which I think is like super in the realm of possibility, that's uh, that's a pick I'm you know willing to make. Okay, Purdue is playing at number 12, Notre Dame. The Fighting Irish are giving up seven points. Yeah, I'll take Notre Dame on that. That's that seems that seems good. So Notre Dame has not been all that impressive so far. Um, you barely beat Florida State by three, and Florida State since lost to Jacksonville State, an FCS school. Yeah, what an rough. awful way to lose for that one too for Florida State. And then Notre Dame last week had to come from behind to beat Toledo, and they won that game by three. Not great for Notre Dame, but Purdue. I don't know why I said, but Purdue has been really good. On the other hand, they've been really impressive. Um, they won week one against Oregon State, another Power Five opponent. They've looked pretty solid so far. I'm tempted to pick Purdue, but I feel like I, Notre Dame has been the team that I have had the toughest time picking against the spread over the last like three, four years because I feel like when I get down on them and think that they suck, which is kind of where I'm at right now, that's when they cover. And when I start to actually buy into them, like last year, I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe Ian Book did turn this thing around. And then I buy into them, and then they don't cover. So I'm not buying into them just for that alone. I'm going to take <laughs> Notre Dame to cover. Okay. Uh, does that make sense at all? Not no, really, it was completely of. backwards, okay. but we're both picking Notre Dame. Yeah, whatever it takes to get the win. Number one, Alabama, minus 14 and a half at number 11, Florida. Really? That's the line on that? Mm-hmm. That's shocking. I, yeah, I think that's too high, man. I think I'm taking Florida at that. Mm. 14 and a half. Because like, I, I could see a world in which Alabama wins by 10 or 12 or something like that. So you pick Florida then, like, because I, I think that's actually a pretty likely outcome is that Alabama wins by like a score and a half, like a you know mm. touchdown and a half. Well, I mean, Florida it was a one score game last year in the SEC championship, but a lot different for Florida now. No Kadarius Tony, Kyle Pitts, Kyle Trask. And I still think they're a very legit team though. They're very good, but here's the issue: I don't think they're going to cover 14 and a half. I would take any line above 20 points for Alabama in this game. Alabama is a wagon. They are amazing. They are great offensively. They are great defensively. Florida has questions still on the defensive side of the ball, which is not great because if you give up 40-something points to Alabama, it's pretty tough to ask because we don't know who the Florida quarterback is really going to be. Emory Jones started game one. Then it was Anthony Richardson coming in late, playing well. Game two, they kind of split between the two of them, and I think Richardson's been better so far. But we don't know who the quarterback's going to be, and it's going to be their first start against Alabama. I want to say this, though. Is there any other top 25 matchup where the line is more than two touchdowns and you're pit- and you're taking that? Like, that that seems ridiculous. But it's Alabama. <sighs> I can't do it, man. I can't do it. I'm taking Alabama easily. 15 points I feel is how much Alabama has to win one. by for, you to, for, for this to be a W for you. 
I don't think Alabama can win by 15. Mm. I'm tempted to lock it up, but I won't. Uh, number 22, Auburn. At number 10, Penn State, Nittany Lions are giving up five and a half. Huh. That's an interesting one. That's mm-hmm. actually, I think that's really difficult. That feels really difficult to me. I like Auburn. But do you love Auburn? Do I love Auburn? Oh, man. Man. I, I, I. Okay, I want to hear yours first here okay. because that might inform my opinion a little bit. So I'm actually going with Auburn in this one. They've done well in these non-conference matchups versus other conferences. That's part of it. The other part of it is the new head coach, Brian Harson, came over from Boise State. And one thing that's common, he is not shy to run trick plays in big games. Maybe that's the edge in a close game. But at the very least, he's going to be fine. Like, sometimes you get coaches who it's like, hey, I'm going to save my play, my trick plays till like my rivalry game or the end of the year when I absolutely have to have to need him. He's just like, no, I'll use them all for a big game early in the season. I don't care. Um, and I'll make other ones later. So I think that helps. Bo Nix has looked really good under Brian Harson, And that, that feels weird to say because he's been basically like a, from power five standards, like below average quarterback from overall NCAA standards, like average quarterback. He's done good things with him. And I think this line is too big. It's not necessarily that, you know, I, I kind of think Auburn might pull the upset, but at the very least, I feel like this is closer to a three-point game. Five and a half feels like too many for me here. Auburn has a, a good enough defense that they should be able to stay in this game, and I like what Brian Harson's going to bring to the offensive side of the ball. I think I think based on what you said, I'm also going to go Auburn. Okay. Uh, th- that's sort of how I felt about that line as well. All right, last one for college football. Number 19, Arizona State is minus three and a half. They're at number 23, BYU. Yeah, let's take Arizona State. Okay. Uh, I'm going Arizona State, too, with you on this one. Now, uh, keep in mind, BYU has already beaten two Pac-12 opponents, really representing well for the Big 12. Um, And last (laughs) week, they beat a ranked Pac-12 opponent, which was Utah. They played them at home. That's the same case here. You're playing a ranked Pac-12 opponent. You're playing them at home. So why not again? Well, sometimes it's tough to, you know, keep that energy up, and they just beat Utah, who is their biggest rival, and it was a top 25 victory. There's an emotional high that you go on that's followed by a bit of a dip. The best teams are the ones who are able to overcome those dips and the inconsistencies. But this is college football. And a lot of times, if you're not one of those best teams, you suffer from those inconsistencies. I think that's going to be the case for BYU in this one. Arizona State's got a really good team. Their quarterback, Jalen Daniels, or Jaden Daniels, excuse me, not the Kansas quarterback, Jaden Daniels, is really good. Um, and I think Arizona State's getting them at the right time that you're kind of coming off that emotional hangover, so to speak, after beating Utah. So I'll take Arizona State minus the three and a half. Uh, for, I'm just going to give another lock. I missed my lock week one, got my lock last week, which was Iowa. This week, I'm going to lock up Baylor. Uh, Baylor is giving up 18 points against Kansas. I'm having a hard time seeing KU being within the line. And it can be the same thing as the Coastal Carolina game. I think we can come away from the game with a lot of positives from it in where the program's going, but them still not cover. I just have a hard time believing Kansas against the 13th best defense by efficiency is going to be able to put up more than 17 points. I mean, the most they've scored in this series last 11 is 14 points. And if that's the case, if you only score 14, if Baylor puts up 34, they cover the spread. So that would be my lock of the week. But again, still not down on where things are for KU as a program right now. All right, on to the NFL. You were 3-2 and two last week. This was uh, a little bit more up your alley. L.A. Rams are minus three and a half. They're at Indianapolis. 
Uh, yeah, Indianapolis is in a bad shape injury-wise. I don't think they played particularly well week one. Um, definitely, to, and the Rams looked fantastic. They looked insane, honestly, uh, week one. Um, with Ramsey playing this kind of like weird, they call it a star position. He's playing like a safety plus a middle linebacker. He's not even playing X corner anymore. I have no idea why, but uh, it's fine. It's working. It worked really, really well against the Bears. Maybe against teams with like a with like a really good star wide receiver, he's going to go back to playing. Indianapolis uh, does not have that. Yes. yes. So so yeah. he's going to be playing probably very similarly to the way he played against the Bears, which was fantastic. So uh, three and a half. Um, yeah, definitely taking the Rams. Man, everything in my my head says take the Rams for everything you just said. They looked really good week one. Colts did not look very good week one. I don't love Carson Wentz. Matthew Stafford was awesome. But these are the games that sometimes I've lost so many of these where you're just so confident because of those. And it's just like, shouldn't the line be maybe a little bit bigger for the Rams here? You're like, does Vegas know something? I'm just going to trust Vegas. I'll take the Colts plus the three and a half. I think the Rams win, but maybe it's a close game. Maybe it's more vintage Matthew Stafford with the Lions, and he throws like two pick sixes, and you're like, "Oh, that's you know." <laughs> more, I, I I really like Matthew Stafford; he's really good. But the, that does happen to him. Uh, Buffalo minus three at Miami. God, Buffalo looked mm-hmm. rough though, and Tua looked good. Mm-hmm. So Buffalo three and a half. Buffalo's three flat. Three flat. Mm-hmm. So field goals will push. Um. Man, I I feel like they're going to bounce back though. I was really disappointed in how they looked week 1, but I don't trust Miami. <laughs> I just I just can't trust Miami. I like their coach a lot and I I like Tua all right. Tua reminds me a lot of Drew Brees and Drew Brees is one of my favorite quarterbacks ever. Um but I just I just don't think that that's a team the Bills feel like they're going to bounce back and the Dolphins feel like they're about right. You, you know what I mean? They they don't feel like they're going to get a ton better over the course of the season. Yeah. They're like a nine-win team, maybe a 10-win team now that there's an extra game. But the Bills, I still think, are like legit, you know, maybe not Super Bowl, but uh, conference championships. Yeah. So I'm going to actually go Miami here. Um, With the three points, you're a home dog against a division opponent, and – I'm sure for Miami, they are putting a lot of emphasis in winning this game, not just from the standpoint of this would obviously be big for the division, but it's kind of a revenge game. If they would have won their Week 17 game last year against Buffalo, they would have been in the playoffs, and they got killed against Buffalo. There's going to be an added edge there for Miami in this game. I I think sometimes when a team starts 0-1 that we think is going to be really good, we automatically just think, oh, well, there's no way they'll start 0-2 then, so they have to win. But a lot of times, there's every year there's one or two teams who it's like, wow, I wouldn't have thought they started 0-2. I think that might be Buffalo this year. I'm going to go with Miami. I think they got the right uh, juju right now, and I'm going to go with the Dolphins plus the three And points. I'm going to go with the Bills. Okay. Uh, San Francisco, minus three at Philadelphia, a couple 1-0 teams. Philly looked good, though. Yeah. Jalen Hurts looked legit. The breaks off the Falcons. Yeah, I just don't like the 49ers very much. Like, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to like the 49ers uh, as as a squad, but uh, there's just some something about the way the Eagles played makes me feel like they have they have that same kind of energy they did uh, in in their Super Bowl run. And and the, yeah, I I really like them this year. I think that they're 
an enormous favorite to win their division, in my opinion. Like, I don't think the Cowboys uh, are awesome. I think, you know, Dak Prescott's good, but I don't think a lot of the rest of their team is good, especially now that they lost uh, Lawrence for maybe until, like, yeah. midseason. Um, so I'm definitely going to go with the Eagles here. But that's a tight line. That's a difficult one. I'm d- I am going to go with the Eagles, though. You know what's what I wonder if if San Francisco didn't almost blow that game against the Lions because they were up forty one to ten, and then it ended up being forty one thirty three with the Lions driving in near the red zone at the end of that game. Had they won that game just by that score forty one to ten, Forty Niners are probably favored by what seven right now. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe I'd feel a lot more dif- uh, a right? lot different if if that was the situation. And so I'm gonna try not to cloud myself with that. For that reason, I'm gonna take San Francisco minus three. Jimmy Garoppolo looked really good in Week One. Debo Samuel was fantastic. It doesn't matter with the running back they throw back there because the line's really good. Shanahan's schemes are really good. They're just gonna run the ball really well. And the defense looked good early last week, but finished poorly. I do think it's closer to the defense. They'll look good early in that game. They just let their foot off the gas pedal way too early. But I'm going to go San Francisco minus three in this one. I'm still not overly in on Philadelphia. I I think they're closer to like an average team this season. The defense I was really impressed with with the Falcons. Jalen Hurts played well, but I'm not kind of buying into the Jalen Hurts stuff overall long term. Uh, Las Vegas at Pittsburgh. Steelers are giving up six points. Really? Huh. That's uh, bigger than I would have assumed. Because the Steelers didn't play that well last week. Well, they beat the Bills. They didn't play very well. They, they just they offense like, didn't. Defense played very well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. Let's let's take the Steelers here. That's a weird. That that line actually really shocked me when you said it. I don't pay attention to the lines until you say them. So that really shocked me. Um. There's definitely a real argument for taking the Raiders at that kind of at that kind of line. That's what I'm doing. I'm taking the Raiders. Six seems like too much here for Las Vegas. And, yeah, Pittsburgh's defense, uh, there's a real chance they could hold the Raiders to 10 points and then you lose this bet because the Steelers win (laughs) 17-10 with a pick six. But I don't think the Steelers' offense is very good that they're going to be able to pull away from the Raiders. So even though Steelers have a really good defense, I think the six points is too much. Give me the Raiders as well. Last one, Sunday Night Football, Kansas City minus three and a half at Baltimore. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the Ravens looked like uh, looked pretty bad. I mean, hope you you hope that they that their secondary plays better. Like, I mean, hope in a weird way they underperformed, and you want to see players play well, right? You, Marlon Humphrey uh, is a better player than what he showed against uh, the Raiders, but I'm definitely uh, all in on the Kansas City train. Listen. If you didn't think that we played very well against Cleveland, I think you have a, a misinformed opinion about how um, good or bad Cleveland is. I think Cleveland is a legit Super Bowl contender this year, and we went out and we showed that we can have we have the resolve to come back from a deficit. And I think that the Ravens are in a really bad position in terms of a lack of running backs, in terms of what appears to be an unmotivated or something is wrong with their secondary. I couldn't really put my finger on what it is. Um, So I'm definitely uh, taking the Chiefs here. I'm taking the Chiefs too. Ravens blitz a ton and that was on full display against the Raiders. They got burned a couple times while Patrick Mahomes is elite against the blitz. So that's not great for the Ravens, but also they're going to be without um, Ronnie Stanley. They're all pro pro left tackle and Alejandro Villanueva got torched by Max Crosby 
on the Raiders. Good luck against Chris Jones. Yeah, that's that. I mean, listen, Max Crosby's a good player, but he is no Chris Jones. Correct. And so if Chris Jones, he could end up with another couple sacks in this game. Obviously, the big goal for the Chiefs defense is stop the run better than they did against the Browns. But everything else you like for the Chiefs here and the Ravens are coming off an emotional low after the loss. They also are playing a team who they've struggled against recently to kind of get over that hump against the Chiefs. And you had to go cross-country to Las Vegas on the West Coast. Now you go cross-country back to the East Coast of Baltimore. That can't be super easy to do. So I definitely like the Chiefs minus the three and a half. He's Cole C. DeButar. I'm Derek Johnson. That is our game picks. We'll uh, find out what BMAX are coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Coming up next, so let's talk more in depth about that Chiefs Ravens game. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Join us coming up in 30 minutes from right now. I'm Derek Johnson with Colsey DeButar here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We just picked the Chiefs over the Ravens, both of us minus three and a half in this game against the Ravens. As I was talking about in my explanation, the Ravens blitz a lot, and that was the case again against the Raiders. They actually have a new defensive coordinator, and it felt like it was even not just blitzing a lot, but blitzing on steroids in that game. And, I mean, it, it ended up, you know, turning into that broken play at the end of the game where the Raiders got the wide-open touchdown. I wonder how much easier or, or how much more difficult it'll be for the Ravens this season imploring a blitz-heavy defense when you lost. Like, you mentioned Marlon Humphrey, who overall actually is, like, a really good player, but you don't have that other corner anymore. Like, Marcus Peters is out for the year. And so not having two lockdown corners on the outside to help you with those blitzes, maybe it'll make it a little tougher, and that would be even worse for the Ravens because, as I mentioned, Patrick Mahomes has been elite against the blitz, and on top of it, Patrick Mahomes has been elite against the Baltimore Ravens. He is 3-0 against the Ravens in his career with a 70% completion percentage, nine touchdowns to one interception. He is averaging 380 passing yards per game, and he also has 30 rushing yards and a touchdown there. I mean, the problem with the Ravens' pass rush is they whiffed on draft pick after draft pick on free agent signing after free agent signing, so their defensive line is, I would say, bad. The way that they compensate for their defensive line being bad is by blitzing on like 55% of their plays. In some games, it's even like individually higher. Um, they have a ridiculous blitz rate. And the problem is they don't even produce that good of pressure rates on their incredibly high blitz rates. Their their pressure rate is like middle of the of the pack. At least it was last year, and I don't, it didn't look that good against the Raiders. To be perfectly honest with you, so I'm not really convinced that uh, what they're doing is working. Um, I think more and more defenses are going blitz heavy, so it makes the Ravens a little less unique every single every single year. I think that Patrick Mahomes is just going to dice him up. That's my main. That's my main opinion. If if this was the Steelers, who also have a really really high, um, or last year they had a really high blitz rate. I think this year they are they're uh, talked about how they're going to do it less. But last year Steelers had a really high blitz rate, but also got plush pressure at a at 
the best rate in the league. Yeah, I mean, you have T.J. Watt and, at the time, Alvin Dupree or Bud Dupree before he got injured. I mean, that's a good recipe for success to do it. So if that was the sort of defense that uh, Mahomes had to deal with, I would I would be maybe more pessimistic. But the Ravens try to compensate for the fact that they've had really bad luck or, you know, really bad front office decisions when it comes to who to keep on their D-line, who to sign to their D-line, who to draft to add to their uh, D-line. And they compensate for it with blitzing at, many would argue, too high of a rate and not getting a good enough pressure rate to make up for that. Yes, a big game for Patrick Mahomes. We'll see what Clyde Edwards-Alaire looked like. I I mentioned how the stats didn't show up last week, but uh, the biggest positive from last week was that he was way more involved in passing downs, being on the field, pass blocker, in receiving than he was a season ago. Uh, how the offensive line can communicate against those blitzes is obviously going to be key as well. Uh, the defensive side of the ball is a little more interesting. I mentioned Ronnie Stanley's out, and just in terms of pass rush, Chris Jones should be able to bully either one of the tackles. And really, this should be a game that the Chiefs do have pass. If the Chiefs don't have pass rush this game, that's a problem. Are you impressed with how well he's transitioned from interior Very. to, to uh, end? You haven't even really noticed. I mean, it's just like, oh, he's still really good. It, it, I was I was amazed. Like, sort of makes me wonder, like, should the Rams move Aaron Donald to the edge? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, when I saw how well Chris Jones has played, I immediately thought of, in my opinion, one of the only better interior defensive linemen in the league besides uh, – <laughs> Chris Jones, which was Aaron Donald. I'm like, maybe they should try Aaron Donald as an edge rusher in L.A. <laughs> I mean, it couldn't hurt. But uh, I, I, then again, it's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I guess. I mean, yeah, maybe the Chiefs' pass rush was right. broke. You yeah, know, I mean, it, it, it was in a state were that— bottom third of the league last year mm-hmm. in doing so. So, so I'm glad that this appears to have— not even it's not even just that he's playing better. It seems to have revitalized that whole uh, system. You know the the whole unit. I mean, they don't win that game without Chris Jones. He made two sacks in the game, and without him, I don't even know what the defense would have looked like overall last week. And and now you're going to be stressed in a lot of the running game this week, and a lot of that goes on the linebackers. And, and that's honestly the what I'm going to be most interested to watch on the defense this week. Because, like I said, there should be a pass rush. I'm expecting it. So, if you don't, it's a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, the linebacking core is the big question to me. It was coming into the season. You've graded poorly as a linebacking group the last couple of years. But this year, you had Willie Gay coming off a, a good training camp. But he's on the uh, uh, the short-term like IR, so he, he'll miss this game and the next game. He can't come back till after three games. Um, but Nick Bolton got the start. As a week one rookie, your former second round pick from Missouri, and he had a couple plays that was like, uh oh, that was a rookie mistake. But overall, he actually made some big plays for you on defensive, uh, the defensive side of the ball, made some big tackles for you against the run. It's going to be imperative that linebacking group plays well because otherwise, you, you don't want to get in a situation against the Ravens where you fall behind like you did against the Browns. It's a recipe for disaster against that running attack. You want to be able to jump ahead early and force Lamar Jackson to be a passer when you do have those questions about the offensive line play guarding those Chiefs pass rushers. That's You're 100% right. I'm just not overly worried about the Ravens' uh, running attack. It didn't feel great against the Raiders. And you listen, uh, it's really unfortunate. It's not 
the front office's fault. It's not really the players' fault at this point. It's that their first three running backs on the depth chart got their legs exploded, essentially. Okay? Like, I mean, it's it's really unfortunate. Lamar Jackson's great, but uh, every time your quarterback goes out there and runs, it, it can feel dangerous. And, you know, Lamar Jackson is obviously a tough guy. He's extremely elusive. But I'm really just worried because I like watching him play, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm really just worried about that one time where some safety uh, comes and takes his head off. And, you know, he's out for the season or out for a couple weeks because he, you know, made a bad run. And that's not something you have to worry about a ton with running backs. Uh, You have a lot of them. They run differently than someone like Lamar Jackson does. So I'm not super scared of the Ravens running attack overall because I just think they don't have the personnel to do that right now. They're, it's not Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, the best tandem of running backs. I, I would say like it's one of the best tandem of running backs ever, right? I mean, these are uh, Nick Chubb, in my opinion, is a top two back in the NFL. And then Kareem Hunt's like also top 10, maybe top 15. So that, that's crazy to have two of those guys as your running back tandem. This is not what we're going to be dealing with with the Ravens. Yeah, it's more of a scheme thing with how they put up those numbers and, and what Lamar can do. He's Cole C. DeButar. I'm Derek Johnson. So we both like the Chiefs minus three and a half. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Coming up next, we'll let you listen in to what Brian Borland, the KU defensive coordinator, had to say yesterday. It's a Friday. It is Brandon McAnderson time here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. BMAC, you uh, adjusted to being back uh, away from the beach, back off a, a little mini uh, vacation, so to speak? Oh, yeah, it was uh, out of the frying pan into the fire for me. <laughs> I had all kinds of responsibilities when I got home, so the beach is already a distant memory, but a great memory. Well, speaking of great memories, Jason Bean had himself a nice game against Coastal Carolina, over 100 yards rushing. He became the second KU quarterback to do that since 2000, Bill Whittemore, the only other one to do so. He did it twice, and I have a feeling we're going to see it maybe another couple times for Jason Bean. Uh, What's it been like so far watching him on the field and his progression even from just week one to week two? I mean, it's been different in that – You know, he's not someone that had been here before. So, I mean, you could pull up his North Texas video and see him doing some nice things. But, you know, how do we know what translates and what what doesn't? Um, You know, he wasn't here to participate in the spring, so we didn't get to see him in the spring. In the fall, we got to see him in camp. But because, you know, they're putting in offense, it's not like you got to see him do a whole lot. You know, they they didn't do a whole lot altogether as a team just because they didn't have enough time. So there's like really no way to form an expectation on him, even if you saw him a lot in practice. Obviously, his talent pops, but like I said, they just didn't do a lot. So it's not like you could clearly see he was a, a you know super, super talented guy with, that had a chance to be special. Uh, but in these two games, he just has shown exactly that. He has shown that um, he's definitely got something special inside of him. He's definitely you know, one of the best athletes I've ever seen play quarterback. He can definitely make every throw you would want a quarterback to make. Um, he's poised and he's a leader. And uh, he has been, he has exceeded my expectations by far just because it was impossible to have expectations just because of all the unknowns. But just watching his growth to game to game seems like there is no ceiling for a guy like this right now. Yeah, it's funny because you lose by 27, but 
I, I've said this throughout the week on the show, and a big reason why, like one of those, is the continued strong play of Jason Bean, that you're getting a solid play, you're seeing some good potential from that quarterback position. It just feels like even after that loss, there were a lot of strong takeaways. You know, I'm sure Lance Leipold and the staff and the players, they're not happy to lose by 27, but from kind of the outside looking in, from, I don't know, a fan perspective, from a media perspective, it feels like there is a lot of growth and, and a lot of good things to look forward to for this team. Absolutely, and I think it's partially because of the opponent. You know, it's an, that's an old team. 18 to 22 starters are seniors. Every specialist that touches the ball is a senior. <laughs> so you're talking about a, a senior snapper, senior punter, senior kicker, and 18 or 22 seniors are starters. And not only that, they run an offense that is impossible to defend. You know, I don't think schematically Kansas will face a tougher offense to defend, especially given how many veterans they have, how unique it is to what other people run, and just how good they are at it. And what you didn't see was you didn't see a team that was overmatched. There was some matchups that they lost, obviously, in pass pro against the defensive end and straight drop back, we really struggled there. But other than that, there was no like obvious mismatch anywhere on the field. We were a team that matched up pretty good with them and at times looked more physical than them, especially down on the field. So I think that's why people are so optimistic because the team that we played against is, you know, they're, they are a good team. And it was not a traditional 27-point loss. You know, usually in a 27-point loss, you know, the game's not close. So that's a six-point game. You know, with what eight or nine minutes left in the third quarter, um, and it's still a grinded out game. You know, every time they scored, they answered. You know, they scored to go up 35 22. Uh, Jason Bean hit Wilson down the middle for that long pass, and that was a position where, you know, they had the Felton Gardner drop that ended up in a fourth and two. But that wasn't just some made up thing. It wasn't like they went for fourth and two on their own 30. They had progressed in the Coastal Carolina territory again, or moving the ball again. Now they lose that fourth and two. Coastal scores again. They go up, you know, 49-22. They drive the ball down again, and they're inside the 30. Um, you know, they survive the, the Bean play where he gets injured, and then Bean, you know, gets sacked, obviously, on third and fourth down. But those were red zone plays. That was, a, that was another answer. So I think what our fan base saw is that they answered the bell every time. And, you know, it wasn't always perfect, but they, they didn't give up, and they, they executed. We're talking with Brandon McAnderson here, and you can hear him on the call. Uh, pre-game starts at 1 o'clock on KLWN and kickoff at 2.30 for KU and Baylor. So the Bears come into town now, and this is interesting because you have to go back to your last team in 2007, the last time KU beat Baylor, which you know, you've had some really good Baylor teams in this past decade plus, but you've also had some Baylor teams like last year went two and seven. They had a team who went one and 11 and they've still, for whatever reason, just kind of had an edge over KU. And in that span, they've won the last 11. The average score is 48 to 12. And outside of that one RG three game, that was 31 30. Every other game has been decided by 19 points or more. So I, I don't really know what to think of that because, you know, like, as a player, if, if you struggled in a series versus a team, or if KU was struggling in a series versus a specific school, was that brought up at all? Was that something that's in the back of your mind? Or is there anything that, you know, that 2014 game relates to, to 2021 at all since none of the players were there? Does that mean anything? I think it means absolutely nothing. 
you know, I think they'll look at the film from last year since Aranda, that was his first year. So they'll take a look at some of that stuff and there'll be some player memory that they'll remember. But as a regime, everything changes. And I think when you're where Kansas is, as a player, I was where Kansas is. And how we got through it was compartmentalizing everything. So it was one, one game, one week, one day. It was never about last year, next year, or the previous 14. So I don't know if the players have any impact. Uh, what I can say as an observer and, and being at the game last year is that Baylor was not a team that was overwhelmingly talented. Uh, Baylor was a team that ter- returned two kicks for a touchdown, and that was basically what broke the game open. It wasn't as if they were stymieing the, the Kansas offense to where they couldn't move the ball at all. It wasn't as if their defense was so overwhelming um, or their offense was just, you know, a juggernaut. That's not what happened. You know, last year it was a, a safety and two kick returns. They really just broke the game open. So I, I don't see it as, like I said, I you talked about how talented they've been in the past. They had that Matt Rule team. I think they beat a 61-6. to six, and That was a complete mismatch. So that has been the case at times. Uh, but like I said, last year physically that was not the case, and I don't think it'll be the case this year either, uh, watching what they've done in the early season. I think it's a good matchup for Kansas um, schematically, and will be a, I think the linebackers will be uh, wiping the sweat off their brow after having to, having to defend the 27 different things that Coastal Carolina can do to where Baylor does a lot of what Kansas does, outside zone, inside zone, uh, two tight end formations, uh, boot, play action, so a lot of the same things. So I think it'll be a traditional preparation week, and I think defense will relish that. You watched the Baylor tape against Texas State, and last week they played Texas Southern, who is one of the worst FCS schools there is. So I, I don't know how much you'd take away from that score as, as dominant as the score was, but the week before... Texas State, they were they were pushed to the limit a little bit. And Texas State was a team who I think only won two games a season prior, and it was a close game. So what did you take away from uh, watching that film against the, I believe they're the Bobcats? So what I took away ultimately was that Baylor has a, a big physical offensive line, two good running backs. Uh, but they're very safe with their quarterback. And I don't, and I think it's just because he's early in his career. He's played a little bit in the past. I think he ended up playing in that Big 12 championship game because of injury, uh, Bohannon. But he's a, you know, he's an inexperienced guy and they kind of try to protect him. So they're very conservative. That's a good thing for Kansas. And that's a lot of defensive coaches, honestly. Um, and then offensively, schematically, they're just similar to what Kansas does now. You know, a lot of outside zone, inside zone, a little bit of speed option play action boot kind of thing so they're they're similar in structure so i think that makes your preparation easier offensively you know defensively aranda is one of the best minds uh in the country as he led that lsu defense they're going to be able to do a lot of different things what i noticed on that what really stood out in that texas state film was that they had a lot of trouble corralling uh texas state's quarterback and he was not a jason bean type athlete he was more of like a top reason type he was able to get out on the edge and make make plays in the passing game but what i noticed is it was something that threatened the baylor defense because they made a lot of adjustments to control it which tells me that jason bean is going to have an advantage and be able to get the edge at will and they're going to have to contribute extra players to do that now then that puts the game on the the, the hands of the wide receivers you know, if they're going to have two people spying Jason Bean, which, I mean, I don't know how you don't if you're really scared of him running because he is so fast. Um, if they're going to be, if they're going to do that, that means all wide receivers have to win matchups. And I think they're a good enough group to do that. And uh, I think that 
that type of speed is something you have to prepare for every week schematically. And I think uh, there'll be some opportunities for Kansas to take advantage of. Yeah, it almost feels like to me. I mean, we've seen some big pass plays hit, so I don't want to act like it hasn't happened. But it feels like to me we're just at any moment you could bust off an 80-yard touchdown pass to a guy like Trevor Wilson who has all that speed on the outside. And I feel like that's going to happen at some point. If that happens in a game like this, that'd be pretty big because Baylor's defense seems to be really good. And uh, any points that you can get in this one would be much needed. Uh, as far as the running game for KU, and that's going to be you know a big comparison between these teams. You mentioned with Baylor running this zone as well, although they had the spring ball to kind of implement theirs, whereas Kansas is running a little behind the eight ball there. Uh, did you see some improvements over week one to week two, even though you know it wasn't a dominant outing on the ground for KU in terms of that wide zone? Were there uh, pro- Was there progress made? Yeah, I think so. I think what you saw is that, you know, I, something that's really, as a fan, has really been bothersome is it feels like our previous offensive staff have been more concerned with sticking to implementing an identity as opposed to winning a game. And I know that may sound confusing to some people, but, I mean, if you could remember, um, you know, the, the Dave Beatty years where we were we wanted to play fast, but we weren't really good, and it was just the fastest three downs you'd ever seen in your life. And then you remember the, the Les Miles years where he wanted to run the ball and be conservative, and he would do that even if it resulted in a 60 to nothing loss. What I've noticed is that Coach Kotelnicki and staff are more open to trying different things to keep them in the game. Uh, out of the third quarter, they did two things that I really, really liked. One, obviously, the Jason Bean touchdown, which was like a zone quarterback zone lead, and that was really wide zone with a lead back. That's something they've not ran before. They also had a misdirection play with Felton Gardner that ended up being like a 15- or 16-yard uh, run that they had not used previous in the season. What I like about them is they are going to do what they can to stay in and be competitive in these games. And I think that gives them an advantage. And I don't think that they're willing to give up on the things that are principal to the program. And I think that th- there's some development there. Because you look at someone like Grunhard, who in game one played really well, he's injured and can't play. Michael Ford steps in. That group still improves. That interior three still improves in the run game. Uh, you saw Devin Neal have a 15-yard run that kept the drive alive on third down. Um, the drive that he led him through and he scored a touchdown was very good. Belton had a couple moments that looked more like the Belton that we're used to. So it wasn't, you know, what they hope hope it to be. It wasn't as reliable as they hope it to be, but it did make progress, and that's what we're looking for. Talking with Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, rushed for 53 yards on 10 carries and a touchdown in 2007 against the Baylor Bears. BMAC, you uh, ready to get on to some game picks this week? I didn't play after halftime in that game, though, just so we're clear. <laughs> yeah, what's up with my, that? They, they let Jake time. Sharp just continue to rack up the yards, and, and they didn't let you? What's up with that? Hey, man, a blowout's a blowout. And it was a complete blowout. <laughs> so I was on the bench, uh, legs crossed, enjoyed my evening. Uh, so I didn't, you know, I didn't, they didn't need much from me. Hey, that's that's over eleven fantasy points. That's that's a good day. Good day of work. Um, so on on game picks, five and five in uh, college football so far, three and two last week in the NFL. First up in college football, number eight Cincinnati's given up three and a half. They're playing at Indiana. Mm. Indiana had a slow start, <sighs> but I, I like them. I think they. Uh, I think they'll rise to the challenge. I like Indiana. Purdue is at Notre Dame. The 12th-ranked Fighting Irish are giving up seven points. Man, what a great gold helmet battle. 
Mm. But uh, being as, as I have not seen either team, really, I'm going to go with Notre Dame. Number one, Alabama is giving up 14 and a half. They're playing on the road at Florida. Mm. I mean, cover? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? Do you think that went over well? I don't know if you saw this. There was a, a Alabama player who, in a press conference, uh, some one of the reporters asked him, "Like, what are some things that Nick Saban likes saying? Does he joke around with you guys?" And uh, I think he said uh, Nick Saban likes saying "suck on D's," which I, I don't know. Do you think he's messing around? Do you think Nick Saban actually does that? And do you think that went over well with Nick Saban? Nick Saban is the Kawhi Leonard of football coaches. I don't know. I don't understand anything. He's so I'm just going to stay out of it. Okay, number 22 Auburn at number 10 Penn State. The Nittany Lions are giving up five and a half. Oh, that's a fun uniform matchup too. Two great traditional uniforms. But Auburn has a uh, former Jayhawk on it, so I'm going to go with Auburn. Number 19 Arizona State giving up three and a half, playing at uh, newly ranked Big 12 foe. Number 23 BYU. Hmm. BYU is a tough place to play. I'm going to go with BYU. I feel like I know this is going to devolve into more basketball, but, I mean, football obviously is as well. I feel like that's going to be the team that when they're in the Big 12, like how KU has struggled playing on the road against West Virginia, that's going to be playing at BYU. It's just going to be like, yeah, they're they're like a good team, but we, we just can't beat them on the road for whatever reason. All right, uh, let's get on to the NFL. 3-2 and two last week for you. L.A. Rams giving up 3.5. They're at Indianapolis. I like the Rams. Buffalo is minus three, looking to bounce back. They're playing at Miami. Mm. I like Buffalo. San Francisco giving up three points playing at Philadelphia. I like San Fran. A lot of uh, road favorites this week, which could be a little scary. Las Vegas Coming off the win, you called that against the Ravens. Now they're playing another AFC North team. They're at Pittsburgh, who's given up six points. Six is high because, I, I mean, Roethlisberger looked like a refrigerator with arms. <laughs> I mean, he, he looked atrocious. I mean, he could be moved at 0.5 miles per hour. I'm going to say the Raiders. Uh, I don't like the Steelers cover. I think Steelers will still win, though. Kansas City is giving up three and a half at Baltimore on Sunday Night Football. Baltimore just got too many injuries. Chiefs. All right. Those are your game picks with BMAC. BMAC, thank you so much for the time as always, and uh, have fun on the call tomorrow. Appreciate it, man. All right. That was Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, part of the Jayhawk Radio Network. You can hear him tomorrow. We'll have our pregame show brought to you by Mama's Tamale Shop from noon to one on KLWN with myself and Scott Chasen going out to Mama's Tamale Shop. Kiss Crew will be there noon to two, giving away free stuff. Some KU football tickets will be there at the beginning. I don't know how long they'll last for, but also $2 tacos, and it's right in uh, near the stadium. And then BMAC, you'll hear his pregame coverage starting at one o'clock. Kickoff will be at 2.30 between KU and Baylor right here on KLWN. Depend on it.